Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us, help support the movement, help fund the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 153. Episode 153, today we have another incredible family and friends guest. Returning to the studio is the great A.J. Barker. A.J. Barker is back again. We're happy to have you, brother. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, and as we, always. We, we started with the wide cam today, so everybody can see you're in the studio. It's not really a surprise. Um, if you're listening out there, A.J. and I are going to be doing a podcast together, The Last Renaissance. We're still working out the times, but now that we've taken out the middleman and we can self-produce, I think we have the uh, the appropriate setup to be able to accomplish that. So um, excited to have you back in the studio. It's been a while. A lot of stuff's going on uh, since, since we had you last. First of which, most important of which, you had a son, yep. uh, new, new baby boy in the family. That's right. Uh, we can say his name. On, 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 yeah, I'm uh, fine with it. Mathen. Mathen. The yep. young, the young great math, and having a little bit of a, a cold right now. Got a little virus, got a bug, but he's he's getting better. So, um, welcome, welcome to having a son. Yeah, uh, not that having a son and a daughter is really much different, especially when they're young. Um, but it becomes different, it, it, right? It, it right, becomes exactly. different a little later exactly. on. Uh, I my, my little Royce is actually sick right now too. He's got a little bit of a headache and cold. It's going around. It's going. We're we're up here in the tundra. Yeah, it's going around. I, I had a little bit of cold. You can hear my voice is a little. And whenever same, I get sick, my here. voice gets lower. Um, but yeah, I mean it. It always goes around in Minnesota. I know a bunch of people got COVID too. So really? uh, we'll we'll uh we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. But um, little Royce is you know twelve. You on on thirteen this year. Time flies, uh, and uh, he's he's really developed. You know, he started late with basketball. I didn't want to force it on him uh, because I knew once he really started going and he came to me like, I want to be good, there's only one pace. There's only one speed. There's only one approach, and it's all out. And, you know, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to burn him out early. Right. Well, and, and when you're going to end up 6'11", you can take your time getting to it. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. God, God's grace. Between his dad and his mom. Genetics, that, genetics that, are on that his boy's, side. Yeah, that boy's going to be about 7'1". Yeah, he's going to be 7' foot probably. 6'9", <laughs> at least, which at is least. all which is all the same. Yeah. Once you cross 6'8", I was at the lower end yeah, yeah. of that, that height totem pole. Once you cross 6'9", it's a whole different world. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's, he's doing well. I remember the last time you got sick, or one of the last times well, you were sick, yeah was uh coming to visit in Canada and watching watching me play up there and and one of the kids got you sick from one of those uh Canadian elementary school viruses. <laughs> yeah, those yeah one, of, one of those French immersion viruses. <laughs> yeah, I went about ten years there where I didn't get sick and then I, you know, go stay with the young kids with Royce and right away, boom, hit you. Now that now that I got my own, it happens every every other month for me, but well, you can never, you can never trust no. the French. Their viruses. <laughs> you are, can. That's trust. the takeaway. That's the takeaway is never trust the French. But yeah. um, it's good to have you <laughs> back, man. We've been talking a lot uh, over the past week about politics. Obviously, the political is as hot as it's ever been in, in this country and in, in my lifetime. I, I don't really remember a, a time where uh, the the political discourse was so 
powerful, so popular, and and so um, hot, uh, you know, uh, volatile. Let's say it yeah. is, is a very very volatile time. Um, much of which is, you know, is revolves around holy conflict, and and uh, not only the holy. I said on my podcast Wednesday night. Um, it's not the holy war you think. Uh, there's obviously a holy war that is being promoted, propagandized, sold between Israel and Palestine as the old dividing line and that the West and Christians get pulled into because of our ge- geographical position, but also our geopolitical ties to Israel, obviously, but but Europe too. And, and uh, so there's this whole, you know, bubbling up of, of holy talk and holy war. Uh, so we want to get you in and, and get your perspective on some of it. Starting around Israel, I know you and I, yeah. well, first I want to ask you about, AJ, you're one of the first people. I remember when, I always go back to this, but I want people to to hear this again. When the thing, when when when, at, when we first left Afghanistan, right, and that whole deal went down, I remember calling you and you were like, uh, man, a lot of these conservatives are getting this completely wrong. Uh, just in the sense like Afghanistan and the people who observe religious faith in the Middle East or you know, in, in Kurd territory or wherever they are, they're rejecting a sort of modernity. And even though their faith practice may be perverted in the view of us, Catholics, Christians, otherwise, um, that there was a sort of contemplation, contemplative that they wanted at the center of their life and their community, which was rightful to ask for, at least in theory, in principle, something that- In practice, too. In practice. I mean, in practice, you definitely have the right to ask for that. Yeah, but but something something we've lost here. Let's start there. Let's, if we can. Well, the first thought that comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, if we look at what's going on today, we talk about a sort of- there's holy element going on, a holy war element type of thing going on. I'd I'd probably take a, a viewpoint that certainly a lot of this is antagonized by um, practical, you know, practical issues, issues of territory, issues of economics. We have an unstable economic substrate, and now a lot of people would say, "See, that's the whole cause." No, I'm not. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm not saying that's the whole cause. What I'm saying is. I think what you see is a mix of those practical things bubbling up on top of a foundation, which is a, a sort of fundamental antipathy or incoherence between the two presupposed holy worldviews. Mm. And so if you have practical, superficial things come to a head and then that those underlying tectonics are incompatible, which they are often, then you're going to see it. Uh, uh, you know, catalyzed to a much higher degree. So it's not it's not just that you're going to have the conflict of the practical thing of us wanting more space or this space or this historical or this thing, but you're going to have that mixed in with a fundamental, um, you know, disagreement that that can't be merged, mm. right? If if one person's position is A and the other one's is not A, there's not a middle ground, right? That that's that they'd call them logic the the principle of excluded middle. Mm-hmm. That when you have those clear cut A not A then they're not going to merge. And we have a lot more of that going on in our world than, than people want to think or that people are maybe even aware of. They, I think a lot of people are in that, you know, neo-Buddhist, Judeo-Buddhist type of worldview that is like, 
you know, it all, you know, the sort of perennialist uh, Helena Blavatsky theosophy, like, you know, no, it's all like this perennial mush Mm -hmm. of just everyone's getting at the same thing. You know what I mean? Everyone's, everyone's will is perfect. We all want the, the, the perfect coherence. Human beings are generally good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because, because we all want that, that peace, it all merges into us just saying the same thing, but with different words. And that's, um, just evidently not the case and history shows that that's evidently not the case right, right. and the future will continue to show that that's evidently not the case people fix their wills on things that are contrary to other things my, my, my question to you yeah. al- along that vein is i made the i made the point yesterday on the podcast which is probably greatly controversial in the conservative movement that um what it what it appear what it looked like to me let, let's set the let's set yeah. the fundamental differences between Islam and Christianity aside yeah. for the moment yeah yeah not in the final analysis of course but for the moment and let's let's assume that the geopolitical super elite cultural elite managerial scientific elite don't give a shit about our faith practice at all right either one which they probably don't which they clearly Most. don't. Sure, they evidently see. Uh, evidently, <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of out there in the open. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And they're yeah. really sort of saying that if you believe in God, then you're crazy. Yeah. You're a conspiracy theorist, and you're probably on the on the road to becoming a domestic terrorist of, of some variety. Uh, that that was actually yeah. pretty much laid out in Joe Biden's uh, National Council for Domestic Terrorism uh, Security Report in 2021. But right. Um, what it seemed like to me is the Palestinians are a relic of a old geopolitical framework and the entire global sort of uh, system, let's say, came together and decided, you're out. Or let's say that the Palestinians saw that the Iranians may be making a deal with China and Russia to be a part of a future global uh, structure, a geopolitical structure that didn't include them after they had, in their view, held the line against Israel and the West for so long, uh, you know, contemporaneously as as uh, the Palestinian Authority was, there's the PLA, but you know what I mean, they, yeah. in, in, the, in Gaza. Um, so one or two things may have happened. Either Hamas decided we're going to preemptively go to pull everybody higher on the totem pole into the deal. Or the Iranians sent the order down. I mean, that's kind of what's believed, which is crazy. And you get into some wild conspiracy theories where, I mean, ipso facto, we send money to China. China sends money to Iran. We send $6 billion to Iran. If Iran's really given the orders, who's to say that we're not giving the orders? And I say we, I mean these global elites that, that profit from war. But when it, all, when it all shakes out, obviously Iran's in a vulnerable position, really vulnerable position because they're not the big dog in any yard. I mean, they're kind of under the wing of that China-Russia alliance, and then they certainly don't want all-out open combat with America, in in my opinion. Not that we should want a war, a a long kinetic war with them, but I do think that we still have a a superior advantage in in naval power and air superiority, Um, so it'd be devastating for them if we decided to go to all-out war. But my, my point in all of this saying, when, when all the smoke is clear and the dust settles, it still looks like Iran 
is is getting clipped out, not because they're extremists, but because they are the most radical faith practitioners mm. on oh, the okay. world yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. And and all of us here at home, us Christians here in America who live safe and comfort and luxury in this sort of watered down church entity version of, of Christianity, which is greatly distributed by the the Protestant, uh, you know, the Protestant. Any number of things, a lot of things. Yeah. All but, of the hands, but yes, yes. Well, we're a Protestant country. Yep. Um, we kind of look at Iran like, oh, we got we to gotta watch those Muslims. I mean, those Muslims could really do a number on us, and they could. But if they're the strongest vanguard of faith practitioners out there in the world in terms of, hey, we believe in this, we're willing to fight and die for it, if they get clipped out, who are they obviously going to come for next? That's, that's my fear. What are, you, what are you? Is that what you were saying when you said that the, you know, the, the, the more radical forms of Islam in the Middle East kind of uh, want the contemplative at the middle, middle of their community and life? Well, yeah, I mean, we'd put the word radical on it, but devout might be a more healthy, you know, framing of it that anyone who's devout in their faith wants their faith at the center of their life mm-hmm. and and they believe that it should be at the center of their life probably even more than that whether they want it or not whether they want to get into the discipline or not they they believe that it should be that they have a, a sort of obligation to it so no i i like that i mean i think that's a actually quite a profound take and you know i haven't been listening to much stuff but the idea that iran is kind of the 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 biggest sort of on the on the global scale the biggest nation that really has that sort of faith as as central to its whole ordering of life and there's a a motive to take that out um i i mean i think it would it would align with a lot of other things it right it would it would it would seem to be more than coincidental for that to line up but i i mean i was just thinking back this is again taking you down a different path but it's like yeah. what what kind of powder keg was Europe putting there in 1947 when they were like, let's go plant. In Israel. Israel. Let's yeah. go plant these people, Jewish people, in this territory right now. I mean, you talk about... It was certainly this, not a favor to this, the Jewish people. It, well, seemed, it, it seems almost uh, hateful. Right, and this, this coincides with... Which would match up with what, they, what had just happened. And this coincides with the, you know, the famous speeches around the military-industrial complex, JFK taking that to the next level, really emphasizing it, where it's like... I mean, at this point, people know, between banking and military, that perpetual conflict... Even if you're not the cause, even if you're not the proximate cause of whatever the immediate conflict is, you know that if you just, I mean, this is like what this is like what reality TV show producers do. Right. They don't know that people are going to create conflict between them, themselves. They don't know it, but they know if they take a person with borderline personality disorder, and a person with narcissistic personality disorder, and a person with codependent personality disorder, and the person, with, I mean, that's why they have psychologists who do the screenings. Mm-hmm for these reality TV shows. They know if they put that all in a room, something's going down. Mm-hmm. And we just got to watch and see what it is. Keep the cameras rolling. Yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, to to put, to go drop Israel right in there and the, the Jewish people right in there, they know even if they flush out Palestine, all of Palestine's boys aren't going to just let that rest. Mm-hmm. And as we, you know, see in the Bible, the Lord takes vengeance upon the fourth generation. Well, we know that in sort of a natural perspective that if you have a death of a child, you've radicalized that whole family for four generations. We know that this is the way conflict works. America has this coming to the head right now. Right. You look at, um, you know, 
the choice of America to subject a whole race of peoples to slavery that wasn't even like a next door race. People have always subjected, you know, the Irish, the British, they've always tried to subject each other to slavery. But to go all the way across the globe, somewhere totally different, take them, commandeer them, and subject them to racism, come on, man, you're going to have animosity for 10 generations. Right. And we have that. And uh, you know what I mean? It's like... And a kind of blind, a kind of blind, almost uh, hard to describe animosity that that has to go back to a deeper psychological root. Yeah. Uh Well, and the psychological root is that those types of tragedies, those types of offenses stick with people. They inflame, you know, especially in our fallen nature where our, where our pride is, is genetic or genetic or oral. Do you think, do you think that the, that the, I would say, I mean, I I guess I'd go a level deeper and say spiritual in the sense that, that the trauma, I mean, this is what they talk about. This is what people, even modern times, they talk about the trauma that people live with today. And, you know, philosophers are well pointed out Thomas Sowell does it, how if you look at the time right after slavery, there was much more relative peace in a lot of areas. There was a much more relative sort of contentment, mm. coexistence in, in a lot of areas. Well, you can think of that easily. It's like, oh, we have a relief from the tragedy that we just had. Okay. We feel the sort of catharsis and we're good. That doesn't mean second, third, fourth, fifth generation gonna see it that is going to have the exact same yeah. catharsis. Right. You give them a little bit of time, they're going to wheel back and look at that differently. Mm-hmm. And so that's where even if you go to the 1950s, 60s, civil rights movement, right after that, right? And now you come to today, you're like, it's ramped up. It is. It's way ramped up. And people will go, well, see, that's not logical. And you go, dude, that's how, that's how sin works. And by, you know, in this case, that's, that's the sin. Now, the real question is, well, how do we resolve that? Dude, you and I can't, right? By the way, the only one who can heal sin is God. The only one, and that's there in the Old Testament, Jewish, they knew it. No one but God can heal sin itself. That's what's so radical when Jesus comes on and says, uh, your sins are forgiven to people. Mm. He goes, I, I will it, be clean. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. They're like, who is this that can take away sins? Only God can take away sins. So we need, we need the divine assistance or grace in order to even begin to heal any, any wounds. And what are we doing? We're boxing out God. Mm. Which, by the way, the only thing that, that blocks grace is an impediment to grace in the will of the person who would receive it. God desires to give it to all, but it's an impediment by our choices. So what do we have? We have this boxing out. And that's where, like I said, I think there's a lot of layers of profundity to that notion that let's now box out Iran. For the, the, you know, the sheer idea that at least if, yes, you'll have, you'll have decentralized splinters of faith everywhere. But if it's not localized, if it's not it's not you know operational and and active as a sort of principle for a people for for a nation then maybe now we can have that setup that it's like the producers in the reality show just keep the cameras rolling we got the banks we got the militaries we got you know we got the the production out the manufacturing the different things like so we'll just let it roll and for the most part um we can we can you know just know that it's going to go well one way or another, for, for those for those for those people in their pockets. In my quote, well, first I, I I do want you to expound more on on Israel and just that that whole concept of the inception of Israel. Because I've said before, I mean, look, these people say it all the time, and it's kind of corny. I don't want to be on that montage of of 
Israel has a right to defend itself yeah, uh, yeah. exist because it's it's corny and I don't say it that way. Everybody has a right to defend themselves. Yeah, that's right. Everyone has a right. To Everybody has a right to self defense, and that that's kind of one of the most inherent God given rights you could yeah. say, just natural. Rights. I mean, yeah, no, it is, and of yeah. course, you can always just flip that on the other shoe and go, "Well, the Palestinians have the right yeah, to defend course, themselves." Right. And their so you, go, where, you don't get where, anywhere. You don't get anywhere with a does the car. Like does that. the car come before the horse? But yeah. what I want to ask about um, Iran first before we move on is, why do you think that there isn't a Christian nation? a nation uh, of Christians that would be deemed by the globalist sort of structure or uh, the new world order as being radical. Why, why aren't any Christian nations seen as, as radical, even if they didn't go to the level of funding terrorism or being explicitly contra West because Iran does, I mean, they do yell. I said this the other day, with what I'm saying aside, I mean, what I'm, I, I do think that the NWO is trying to clip out Iran on a religious basis. I really do. That doesn't mean I agree with their religion. Right, uh, right. And, and also, if they scream death to America, they've now put themselves at odds with me where even if I believe the NWO is taking them out on a religious basis, I have to right. take them out because they may, they're trying to take us out. Uh, not that I'm saying we should take Iran out. What I'm no, saying no. is if you live across the street from me and you go, everybody who built a house on that, the people who built a house on that side of the of the uh, block were corrupt, wicked, they stole from me. And so now it's death to everybody on that side yeah, of the block. Yeah, if you go if you go death to white people, come on, what do you mean? I can't go along with this. I can't go along with like, it. I mean, we're not, I'm American. My family even, lives in America. Close. Yeah. I'm a citizen. Uh, you know, I, there's so many, I mean, I'm an American. So yeah. if you yell death to you know, America. If, if Iran makes the claim that, you know, Western materialism is a scourge and we want that gone, sure, I agree. But if you go, yeah, if you go death to America, it's the same thing. If you go, there's some real, you know, failings in the in the history of America that, that you know, have their, their trauma still alive today. Mm -hmm. And then I, I go, man, that, that, just, that just sounds right. Yeah. But if you take that to then, you know, death to white people, it's like, Okay, I can't go along with that. What do you what do you take me for? You know right, what I mean? Right. Like what is I'm not gonna let silly. you use their like, sins to justify running roughshod over, over me. Over me? Yeah, yeah. over this stuff. I mean you and know. that is and, and I mean yeah, I also ahead. I also have to acknowledge too that, you know, I can't I can't atone for those sins. So this is a like like what type of game are we playing here? Right. You know, are we doing the, you know, our our boy Silas and you know, in the, uh, uh, the Da Vinci, da Vinci Code. Code, yeah, Silas, Lash. I was like, "What are we doing here?" The albino yeah, Franciscan the, yeah, monk whatever, hit man, whatever monk he is. <laughs> yeah, da, da. Yeah. You know, whipping no. himself. Yeah. So, what are we? Yeah, yeah. You know, what are we doing here? But well, no, I, know, I mean, I think yeah. I think you make a, a an interesting point there about. But why aren't there any know. Christian nations that are considered oh. radical? Oh yeah, because there were. They got they got PTSD. I've. I mean. We've talked about it at length. I wrote it, the the reign of Boomer Justice, which just really my Substack piece. People can check it out, but but it really just boils down to the 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 social psychological trauma of just a series of intense high technology wars, high death wars. Not even just World War One, too, but going back in Europe, where I mean, think about it. They're the first people to really, you know use or shall we say weaponize the gun gunpowder you know to make a gun mm -hmm. and now they have these these series of wars that we've talked about it 
there's no there's no natural catharsis if you go fist to fist if you go sword and shield mm -hmm. and you fight the winner there's a natural catharsis there's a natural submission from the people who lose that mm -hmm. that's going to take place but if you just gun me down cuz you're Technology is a little better than mine. Come on, dude. My my will isn't convinced that there was anything on the up and up. Even if you could have beaten me hand to hand, now we actually don't know. Right. You know what I mean? So so I think Europe is looking at hundreds of years of that type of conflict. There are some people they're, that they're psychologically blacked out. Yeah. So that's I mean, Christian societies have have neutered. They just gave up the game yeah. because uh, from sheer exhaustion from sheer fatigue that's my take now does that mean that'll stay that way forever no of course not it never stays that way did they forever. try did they try and supplant did they try and supplant the the physical kinetic war game for the money game is that is that why they kind of all opted for this this global financial monetary superstructure instead of christian nations i mean i would i guess my take would be i would think that those are two separate streams okay like I would think that they're not they're not trying to replace it. It's just the kinetic fatigue is going to make them maybe more docile on account of that fatigue or that exhaustion, make them more docile to the incursion of the monetary oppressions, the monetary, you know, manipulation, taking advantage of people. I think there've always been people that want to take advantage of people for money. They're not necessarily the exact same people that want to fight. Now they might be best friends with the person who wants to facilitate the fighting. But there's a certain point where you go, okay, well, the spirit of fighting is dead in this area, which it is, for the time. although it's clearly it's changing. But that, that was dead for, I mean, we're not even just talking post-World War II here now. We're talking Europe. I mean, it's, it's really the root of these major intellectual area, area, major intellectual errors around the rejection of God and the supernatural, which just sort of presuppositionally doesn't even work. But that starts happening, you know, you have the Protestant Revolution or the Protestant Reformation, and then you have a lot of conflict that emerges. Then in the 1600s, you have the dawn of enlightenment. Let's just take out, let's just remove religion from the equation, 16th and, or 17th and 18th century, so 1600s, 1700s, right? Then you have, then now, now at that point that they've started to intellectually try and take it out, now they want to separate it from government, right? And so you have the great revolutions of you know, France, of America, these different places, all these governments either shift to sort of, um, you know, puppet figure type monarchies like you got in, uh, in Britain today where they don't really carry it. They don't wield any authority or power. But now you've, you know, neutered or denuded the whole sort of political axis. So I just think I think those things are sort of the consequence of fatigue. The money stream was one that people have always wanted to get into the mix, which is. Let me make money off money itself, mm -hmm. which is, again, antithetical to human nature mm -hmm. to sit there and take something that's you know, sterile in its nature and try and make it fertile. I'm going to take money. I'm going to make money off of money. Everyone just sort of viscerally knows, like, if you're not offering a good or service, I know they count money in the category of services, but really it's like if you're not offering a good in a transaction, there's something off here. It doesn't seem the same, right? Everyone knows that the, the white collar worker doesn't seem to have the same just visceral, guttural validity as the blue collar worker. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows. That. I mean, to me, that just seems that seems clear at least. Mm -hmm. So I know that, that I, I know that's kind of no. rambling, but that's well, my that's my I, thought is I, I think like it's, I think it's two streams. Yeah, 
you have the the military angle which arises which i think is really what i'm saying is i think it's really transformed by technology mm-hmm. and then that that starts hundreds of years prior to us having bombs but that's the sort of capstone where now and then you have this this crazy you know indifference listlessness fallout just psychological you know again trauma but just nothingness that now rules the western world which is trying to now presuppose that their their psychological premise their psychological trauma should just be the natural premise for everyone explain so, go deeper on that what do you mean yeah well because they're traumatized the boomers and western the boomers. western but western world of course really post world war ii because mm-hmm. they're traumatized by the horrors of technological war See, I'm, I'm talking about, I, I guess the subtle distinction I'm making is between technological wars and sort of visceral ro- wars. Mm-hmm. You know, when two, when two boys, that's why when two boys get in a fight, a fist fight, they're wrestling, they're throwing each other afterwards, they're good. They're probably better friends mm-hmm. because there's a catharsis to it. If one of them, you know, was like, well, here, I'm going to pull out this little thing that doesn't have anything to do with us fighting, but it's going to, you know, punch you from 20 feet away. They're not ever going to be boys. Mm-hmm. There's no, there, there's no there mutual respect. There can be respect. no reconciliation no when, when war even, is remote, when yeah, conflict yeah, is that remote. E- yeah, even when, even when someone Damn, beats that's the, a subtle... Even when someone beats the tar out of someone, just the fact that the other person got the tar beaten out of them will, one, incline the one who beats them up to a sort of respect for them, and the one who gets beat up will have a sort of, you know, a visceral acknowledgement of that strength. But if it becomes technological, even if you would have beaten them, had you gone fist to fist mm-hmm. once it becomes technological now the mind has a scapegoat and it's going nah this wasn't legit i'm still who i thought i was yeah so the beef He's still continues who I the, beef just the beef just grows on and if anything it escalates now because yes. you're like man that was that was, that was sneaky. sneaky that was slimy that i was keep weak. telling people i mean this is dude yeah. this is this is right yeah, if people want to yeah. get into it, i mean this is this is the perpetuity of of gang violence right what what is the 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 chronic plague of gang violence based around humiliation right we as humans would probably we don't do well with humiliation well what is more humiliating than to constantly be you know owned and and re-owned and counter-owned according to technology mm-hmm. according to guns mm-hmm. according to and now you're trying to live in this visceral world where of course everyone knows these most of the time these things emerge over disputes over girls mm-hmm. over money which money disputes are usually over girls mm-hmm. Because the one who has the money, you know what I mean? And then, but now the way that they took their vengeance on you is with technology. There's no, there is no natural catharsis that's going to emerge from that. And the same thing we said about, they'll take vengeance to the fourth generation. If you have a brother that was killed by that person, that's sticking with you for three generations. And now you have the same. So what I'm getting at is that I think that the West sees the demise of the Christian nation, principally from the the fatigue of that sort of fundamental thing that you need to be a nation, which is to defend yourself and have some some sense of identity mm-hmm. based in that. And then on top of that, you have people who are like who are just you know weak, soft, slimy. They're just in the background going, "Well, let me just insert this money game because I just want to make money off money," you know. And here we have it. We just we just got chaos. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's the answer through it is like, dude, it's, it's rigorous principles. Like, hold up. We're not, you know, 
all right, if we want to argue that, you know, pooling money and fractional interest rates, which is really the same as fractional banking, but for, you know, if we get or, or fractional insurance, I'd call it. So if we get a fraction of each person's income, then we can afford to cover each people as things happen because not everything's happening to everyone at one time. And you can kind of do the mathematics like, okay, fine. If, if we're going to say that there's something legit in that, because seemingly on the surface, there is on the surface, I say that, okay, we still have to navigate rigorously what the principles are of this. Because, I mean, this is the whole argument around healthcare. When all of a sudden you start coming to someone, when the insurance company comes to the hospital to negotiate the rate because the insurance company speaks on behalf of thousands of people, so they have the leverage and power to do that. Well, now the hospital goes, first off, we're okay with this because now all thousand of those people are going to be covered. But yes, we'll make a deal where that surgery and that procedure be 150K, but we'll sell it to you, you know, United Healthcare for 15K. We'll give you a 90% discount, whatever it is they negotiate that mm -hmm. contract to. Okay. They're going, okay, that's good for us. That's good for us. But what about the person who's getting the surgery? What about me? Right. What about, what if this falls through and now I'm left with that 150K bill? Why is that bill even sitting at 150K? Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is the, this is at least the the premature logic of, well, if the government negotiates the rate, namely not negotiate, but just sets the rate for them, then we circumvent that loophole. But it's like, well, but why should that even be the rate in the first place, right? It's detached from the natural fundamentals of it, which should be something more like, okay, I come in, I need this surgery. You guys offer it. All right, I can pay you, I can pay you $3,000. It's a serious thing. I need it. 3,000 bucks is a big hit, but I can pay you 3,000 bucks for it. Well, they should be going, okay, will we do it for 3000 or not? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, right now they'd obviously say, nope, no thanks, because they have people lined up with insurance backing that gives them that leverage to be like, nope, not, not interested because we're negotiating with the insurance company and they've already given us a rate that's five times that, right. 15K. So nope, we're good, right? But if, if you actually had an open landscape like that, 95% of people wouldn't be able to pay you more than 3000 so now they have to go, this is what we can get. And then they have to tell the medical supplies people who are charging their inflated this rate, this, this is what we is. can pay you. This is what we can pay you because this is what our revenue stream is. Yeah. So now you start to see all these things sort of calm down, stabilize down, right? And so what I'm getting at is that that's fine. If you guys want to say that um, mathematics allows us to be able to do some of these maneuvers and they're helpful, then we need even more rigorous principles mm. around who's doing the negotiating, who are the, who are the, principal actors in the negotiation, how this is resolved, what, what the appeals process is like for someone, right? Right now, you can't even go and appeal it. They'll just say, too bad. Everyone knows this. The law, the law system is for people who want to play, you know, word games to the, to the tune of an overinflated, you know, legal structure, a hyper-legalistic society that, again, that's not providing a good that's not manufacturing something. That's a service. We have all these services around the edge. So I know that's a kind of digression. No, I get it. But this is but yeah, but this is my <laughs> but this is where I'm I mean, that's that's where I'm saying it. Like if if the way through it is just is rigorous principles. And you think that the convenience the convenience we've been given through this this hyperinflation of fake money or you know, fringe good services and the convenience that the convenience, a portion of people mm -hmm. have been given. But I'm saying that the, even the net convenience has kind of preempted people to not want to 
not want to do or even expect the rigorous principle? Yeah. Well, and, and what I would really say is that because there's something to the mathematics, right? There's some, and what I mean by the mathematics, if you pool a fraction of everyone's money mm-hmm. for a thing, because bad things are not going to happen to all of them constantly, you can cover more of them as it's going by, right? As time is going by than otherwise. Okay, that is, we would say, that is something that's going to benefit. More people are going to be able to get it. Oh, here, I just thought of this. Wait, wait, wait. I just thought of this. I just thought of this. So do you think that math, that this type of math, this type of economic science is what it is, really? Uh, I shouldn't say science. No, no, it is science. It's a economic field of knowledge. Okay, yeah. That this sort of economic science has the same social psychological effect as a technology that happens on the person from a physical harm oh just the demoralization yes but three generations down right well and yes so the the yeah so absolutely you're saying oh, the, the yeah. ramification oh, oh i mean the, the psychological understanding that you've been cheated in this sort of ponzi scheme will come four generations away just yeah, yeah. like oh, with we, the slave and the we have a biblical basis for that okay. the sins that cry out to heaven mm. oppression of wages right so we already know that one of the four sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance have to do with money for people have to do with money have to do with the oppression what are the, the four abuse. what are the four um I'd put you on the spot but that's one of them yeah uh blasphemy that one i actually first off i'm not recalling i know one sodomy i know one's oppression of wages i know one i'm not sure so <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, people well, could look, look up people could look up the other two yeah but um the four sins that cry out for vengeance. Cry out to heaven for vengeance. That's I'll, I'll scripture. look it up while you're, while you're going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so what I'm getting at is that there is something to the mathematics of pooling these things to be able to help more people get coverage. What that, what that doesn't account for is then, right once you have that system in place, that's going to be a benefit to the majority of people. But now once that, that benefit becomes the sort of status quo, right, then it's going to be elevated to a new level of problem when they now start negotiating oh, wow. on this account of wild. that. Okay, go ahead. Well, the 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 sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance, willful willful uh, sorry willful murder. Okay. Unnatural sex acts, sodomy, yeah. oppression oppression of the poor, typically expressed as widows and orphans. I don't know where that info war came from, but defrauding the laborer of his wages. Yeah. So those are the is the third and fourth defrauding. Defrauding the yeah, labor yeah. of so his wages. Yeah, so there's two of them. Yeah. Oppression of the poor and defrauding them of their wages. Yeah, willful murder, unnatural sex acts, oppression yep. of the poor, and defrauding the labor of his wages. Yeah, which, which by which the way, makes a great, which by great, the way, systematically, systematically maps onto it. Crime against person, which is murder. Crime against uh, one who belongs to a person rightfully, which is a spouse, which is unnatural sex acts, either the current spouse or the future spouse of someone. Right. So it's a it's a fundamental crime against them. That's why the sixth commandment is you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal because now we have to deal with property. And so there they deal with with both forms of property, the oppression of the poor in general and then defrauding them of their wages, mm. their transaction of labor. It makes a great case for Karl Marx, which stumps me in the in the in the deepest way. Of course, a Karl Marx would use a biblical basis for the stratification of yeah, yeah, of communism. Because of course, to go to go at 
Christ and God and, and basically reject Christianity altogether. And there's always a yeah, little yeah. bit of truth to the, the a good a good scam always has a little truth to it. And a little truth, it might even have a lot of truth. A lot of it's truth. Gonna, it's going to yeah. really throw a wrench into things because it's going to be so laden with truth that it's going it, to, not only that, it's going to confuse people for generations to come. You're going to have people take counterposition because there's something so off in it. They're going to take a, a visceral rash counterposition that throws the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're at. I mean, this is modern politics. Right? We've talked about that. Conservatism, liberalism. Liberalism is driving the game and conservatism is playing lackey. You know, whipping boy mm-hmm. for, for liberals because they end up taking so many counterpositions that are like, dude, are you dumb? Yeah. You, you have no foresight. You never played chess in your life. Right. This is going to screw you in about 10 seconds. Right. Because that position is untenable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where we saw the collapse of, you know, neoconservatism, sort of popular mainstream conservatism with the rise of Donald Trump because he's the one who goes, nah, that sounds dumb. Wait, was it? What's the point? They go, well, what about the principle of blah, 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 blah? He goes, what's the principle? They're like, well, it basically boils down to yada, yada, yada. He goes, yeah, that sounds dumb. Mm-hmm. Right? He's the one going, eh, no. How about no? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, then you're not conservative. He goes, says who? <laughs> says you? Not only that, I think I'm conservative. And actually, I think all the things that are conservative principles, you guys are weak on. So I'm going to go hard on the things that are actual conservative principles. Right. Right. So the people, people aren't going to be confused about that. If you go, well, you're not actually a conservative. You know, they're going to be like, says you, mm. all the things that actually matter to us, he seems to go harder on. But Ron, now, but, but now Ron DeSantis is running that on Trump. I don't know if you've been seeing that lately. No, I haven't seen it at yeah, all. But, but now, now Ron DeSantis is trying to outflank Donald Trump to the right and say, you're Twink, twinkle toes, Ron you're, DeSantis, <laughs> twinkle toes, got the little cowboy boots on. Yada, yada, yada. He's looking like. Betty Sue. And they said that they actually, there were. <laughs> Twinkle toes? I don't, I don't know. Look, I've never heard that from anyone. It just I came to mind. I, I don't me. know. Look, I don't know how they were able to verify that he has adjustments in his, in his boots. But that was, <laughs> did you see that? Yeah. No, I did. But no, I wait, know wait, wait. that he does. I know that he does. I know But you haven't people. seen that? No, but I know these people are out here putting wedges in their heels. No, wait, 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 wait. Let me let me let me <laughs> let me get this right. Did you have you seen the stories where they criticized him? Slide over this way a little bit, where they criticized him for having platforms in his boots? <laughs> no, but I'm saying I I already know he does. You didn't have to tell me that for me to know that he does. Well, I didn't know he did. I didn't hear, first off, I didn't hear I about I had no clue. When I saw the this video. This is because you're 6'8". I didn't even hear about platforms. <laughs> I couldn't even. I, I didn't couldn't. even, I didn't hear about platforms in men's shoes till a year and a half ago. I was. Lord. Yeah, I was traumatized. <laughs> At least I was like, what? How many generations? These dudes are out here. How many generations <laughs> is it going to take for that to really kick in <laughs> on the Parker clan? <laughs> yeah. How how long uh, until the vengeance is wrought upon uh, the men putting <laughs> platforms in their shoes? How many distraught women when they find out the genetics that they just took into their you know took into their bodies are giving them little tiny children that they thought were three inches taller than they would than they would be? <laughs> Listen, when I saw the uh, the allegation and they showed the boots, I was in tears. <laughs> I was crying so hard, but it made perfect sense. And I always felt like 
like you could look at them. Look, there are people who are strange. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are people who have weird mannerisms. There yeah, are people yeah. who are socially awkward, yeah, yeah, yeah. who still have sacred honor, who would take a bullet for the right cause, who would die for 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 the faith. And, and but we can at least say that the probability that they'll have sacred honor decreases a little bit. Yeah, I would <laughs> the say there's a, mathematically. I, I would say that there's a correlation between the way you carry yourself and the and the and the sacrifices you're willing to make. Yeah. On, on a regular basis, on at least. principle, yeah, right. You know. And so when I look around DeSantis, I'm like, okay, he did this, 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 and this. I like that. I like that. I like that. Okay, he stood on the. Okay, okay. He's got wedges in his boots. Come on, man. That's it. <laughs> Come on, That's man. It. Come I don't look. I, it, everything else is for. It's over. Yeah. What? What are we talking it's, about? It's over. Twinkle toes. Come on, man. It's over. I mean, I, what? What? Where can I go from there? Yeah, so I think your original point was that he's trying to outflank him. Yeah, he's outflanking right. yeah. him conservative. Maybe, yeah. maybe he is. He's trying to. I mean, that's certainly his campaign's modus operandi. That'd be good. I mean, the only one outflanking anyone legitimately from the right in this campaign is Vivek. Outflanking them, Out, Ron and Nikki. Yeah, all of them outflanking them. I mean, he's on it. Yeah, he's on it with deportations. With now, we've talked about him. I don't know that the you know the charisma is probably not there either. I like I I like him fine. You know. We've, he's on, he's we've done on, yeah, a whole yeah, I mean, he's, podcast, he's right. but there's yeah. just, but, but at least intellectually. I went to talk to him. I talked to him every yeah, once yeah. in a while. He's, he's cool. No, he's cool. And he's, and he's. You just never know how, you just never look. And I said this to him. I'd say it to his face. I'd say it to Donald Trump. I'd say it to anybody. None of us should ever feel, right now in this day and age, we should, none of us should feel safe trying to gauge which people present in the perfect way oh, right. at a perfect moment and then renounce and you know reject or revoke all of their formerly held beliefs for some better deal because we live in like you said we live in a society yeah. that's that's just geared towards selling out right so I, I mean i like vivek i like first i love what he's doing i mean regardless of if i think it's 100 percent genuine or not there has to be some merit given to just the actions that he's taken Oh, not only that, like he's got he's got the lawyer speak down, oh, yeah. which is an asset. I mean, talk, yeah. talk about the world I we've just been laying out mm -hmm. the mathematics and the the legalese and the lawyer speak. Dude, he's got it. Yeah, dude's great at math. He's great at the lawyer stuff. So he's like he's fast. and and he has a a very uh you know perceptive intellect. So he sees where the kind of you know proximate sort of most um you know lowest cause is that drives a thing from a sort of practical standpoint mm -hmm, and so he mm -hmm. knows to go right at it mm -hmm. here's how we have to take on you know deportation here's how we have to take on the fed and financing here's how we have to take on i mean the dude's got the answers and it's not the you know it's not the what was his name Yang, who is what was Yang? Andrew Yang. No, what was Yang, the the liberal dude in the last election cycle? Was Andrew it, Yang. Andrew Yang. Okay, Andrew yeah. Yang, yeah. Yang. It's not the Yang answers. I think which, it was Andrew. Yeah. It's something like that, but it's not. It's not the Yang answers that are just funny, like you know, imagination. Like here, I'll conjure up an imagination, an, an imaginary response to that thing, and here's the next one, and here's the next one. You mm. kind of get sucked into the world. Of of Andrew Yang, the little you know, the little utopia, fantasy land mm -hmm. of Andrew Yang. Viveks are are very grounded, they're very thorough, yeah. and he can even say, "Here's where you know Trump failed because he doesn't know the Constitution like this. This is where how you have to navigate it." Yeah, practically say from a practical He's standpoint. Smart. So the only one, the only one who's outflanking anyone in principle in on that stage is, is Vivek. Vivek. 
Yeah. The rest of them, no, come on, dude, this is a charade. Yeah. They don't, they don't have any principles when it comes to geopolitics, when it comes to, to you know, even domestic politics, social, social politics, social dynamics. They, they might in, you know, in, in DeSantis, in Twinkletoe's stand, standpoint, he might have more of an understanding of some of the principles around maybe some social dynamics and seems to have latched onto those and go like, okay, I get, you know, I get the principle, I'm, I'm doing it. But it's like, but even that is shrouded in so many other vulnerabilities that. And the number one is the wars to bring it back to Iran is, you know, this, this propensity for the, the Nikki Haley's and the Ron DeSantis's to lean towards this. Neil. I saw a picture. I saw a picture today that surfaced of Mike Pence signing his name on a pallet of bombs in Israel. And I just thought to myself, that's weird. That is demonic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's say we got to go to war. Fine. It's Hamas versus Israel. You're going to sign the bombs, dude? Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna... First, no, not even that. It's, You're going to sign the bombs? Well, well first Ooh. off, not only is it speak that he would do it, who would ask him to do that? Somebody asked him that's, to do that. That's some, that's, you know, BDSM that's, cuck stuff. That's demonic. That's it weird. Is. It is. It's, yeah. That's the that sort of sadomasochist stuff. Yeah, that's weird, man. That you get into. No, to ask just, but I'm just saying, why would you, you I mean, if you're if you're a party to sin, right? If you're a cooperator mm -hmm. in sin, you're liable for sin. Right. Why on earth would sign your names to the bombs? Holy cow. That is crazy. That's brazen. Not me. Look at this. You won't get me like that. Yeah, yeah. You won't get me like that. You know. He's signing his name on the bombs and they're there in uh what do they call it? What, what what would we call that they're there in in spec, spec as spectators look like israeli soldiers and uh they're they're photographing it i mean obviously the, somebody photographed this photograph yeah. but you can see in the photograph that other people are photographing it like it's a special moment yeah and what is mike pence doing there anyway maybe this is old i don't even know he's no longer in the race so i don't even this must have been old Maybe this is That's from a, another time, but I, I'm just saying that the geopolitics, this neoconism, you know, this defend the empire mentality uh, is, uh, is where a lot of these conservatives fall short. And I just don't, I, I don't, I don't get how they even, I don't get how they have the audacity to come to the American people with their original Republican party platform of low taxes and low limited government. Yeah. But we're going to make the military as like, as if that's not going to expand the government, expanding the military. Right. I don't get that. And the second thing is this whole deportation thing. This seems like a like a like a hydra. Now that I'm thinking about it, don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to see it. I want to see it. Right. Like, we're going to create a government agency, a new leviathan that's going to be in charge that. of deport deporting the illegals. Yeah. And I mean, show me who's going to who's going to run that. Well, who, and whoever runs that. You, you, you're telling me that now they have a job getting paid doing that and they're just going to clean it up, do it, and then be done? Or are they going to leave this as a perpetual need for us, right? I mean, this is that sort of that law, that sort of, in that sense, that law of like, you know, social economic Darwinism. Mm -hmm. And I just mean that it shouldn't even draw Darwinism in it, but that's the name that they sort of give to it, that these things are going to sort of self-perpetuate themselves because the incentives and interests are there 
to self-perpetuate themselves. That's what Russell Brand said. Yeah, so you give, uh, sure, you give people, you give people money, uh, income, to do job A, they're not going to do it, for the most part, unless they really got good integrity, which we don't have, we've already established, we don't have that. They're not going to just do it and let that be that. Right. They're going to want this to be, uh, you know, perpetual. They're going to want this to be a, a, a reoccurring need for them. Right. So, I mean, like I said, with all that, it's like, I'll see it when it happens. What's more likely going to happen, what's more likely going to happen is as they're dragging the feet, you're just going to see the further, you know, deterioration, disintegration of the society. Um, you're going to get to a place where, um, where, where globalism, people are begging for a global government structure Security to account yeah. for the, the injustices that they experience on the ground. Because they won't know that separating from the power is maybe counterintuitive, but it's actually the only way to stabilize it. Their their visceral instinct will be like, okay, well, we just need more oversight. We need more insurance. They're going to be, like I said, they're going to be begging. For tyranny. For, yes, begging for it. And so that's, I mean, that that's the more likely outcome of this. You know, if you hit a point where all of a sudden your your dollar, you know, the dollar were to collapse at some point where now you can't spend money on it. People aren't going to be like, oh, well, all right, I guess we got to really get to the fundamentals. They're going to be like, tomorrow, can you make an international currency so that we can back our currency and we'll just switch over to that international currency. You just give me the conversion of mine to that and then I can keep spending my money. That's what people are going to ask for within 24 hours, within, you know, 48 hours. Mm. And they're going to welcome it when they go, okay, we have a, you know, we have a bipartisan agreement to switch over to the, the world, the world coin, whatever. <laughs> like, great. You know, all, all, you know, 99% of Congress signed off on the world coin, you know, and the one who didn't was absent and didn't understand what the argument was. It's like, it's like, you know, so that's what, that's what you're going to get. I mean, that's that's the more that to me, that's the way more likely outcome of this than all this stuff is going to mount to a point of chaos where then we see the light and we return to principle. Now, if you won't return to principle now, you won't do it during a tragedy because trust me, principle is hardest to turn to in the highest times of stress. So no tragedy. This is the this is the sort of fallacy or the delusion that people have when we feel it, we itch. We itch. That's that accelerationism. We itch for the chaos to come and hope that it can. It'll force us. It'll reset the it'll society. It'll force us to do this, it. I mean, how many people have said, you know, yeah, I don't like my drinking or smoking habits, my drinking off habits, but once I'm married and have kids, then I'll stop doing it. They missed on the fact that those are outlets to stress. So when your stress increases, you're going to lean on the outlets even more. Mm. Right? So all these things, the lack of principle now, they go, maybe it's on account of you know, whatever. I mean, it's on account of stress, the lack of principle. So then they think, well, maybe if it gets bad enough, then we'll be able to finally have the, the landscape cleared enough that we can institute the principles. Yeah, but you're not going to be able to do it because you, you defect from principles out of stress. That's going to be way more stressful. Mm. Now, there might be someone who has the composure to be able to institute that new system, but the chances that, that, that that's principled and not manipulative, you know, are very low. What do you mean? Explain. The person who has the composure to institute the new system it, from the rubble, all right, 
is far less likely in general. I mean, just as numbers, the chances that they that they have good principles based on how they're rebuild, rebuilding it are very low because the real quality they, they need is the composure amidst stress. So that's why you get Napoleons. That's why you get yeah, so many figures yeah. that in the rubble and the mess, it's the one who can who's best at leveraging like what they want on others. It's the one who has a vision for things, but that vision is almost never going to be principled. Right? I mean, this is, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is the profundity of, of King David. Go mm-hmm. back and read First and Second Samuel. Right? What happens? Saul is after him trying to kill him. And what does he do? He does not kill him. Three times he's given into his hand to kill him, and he doesn't kill him. And he goes to Saul and he even lets him know while you were sleeping, while you were on the toilet, I, the Lord gave me into your hand and I didn't do it. People are like, David, what's up? And he goes, no, I will not overthrow what is the Lord's. Even so, at the end of his time, Saul has just, you know, he has, he has made his bed. King Saul has made his bed. Right now he's got a lie in it. And so he goes to battle with the Philistines and he's killed. And the person comes to him and goes, King David, well, David at this point, we got good news. King Saul is dead. He goes, I witnessed it and blah, blah. And he goes, you come here telling me this like it's a celebration. This is a cause for weeping. And now you're, now you also are paying the penalty because you didn't stand up for him right there. Right? You think you're doing me a service. So this is David being the perennial anti-revolutionary because he goes, no, I put it in the hands of God. Now, what that also means is that when he then becomes the leader, he's going to be a just and good leader. But he continues those things out. When his, when his own son, Absalom, tries to usurp him and gathers the whole nation, and then Absalom later on is killed, he weeps for his son's death. No, this is my son. Would, would that you would have taken me instead of him. Right? So, I mean, this is, this is the, the template of actual profundity. But what about his, David's pitfalls, shortcomings with? With Bathsheba? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that's his frailty. But David but David is a man after the Lord's heart. You can take it to the bank. Moses and David, you know, the prophets, but Moses and David, they're as holy as they come, right? Dante was not, you know, obscure on this. He put them high up in heaven, right? People, people understood that. They had, they had a gut instinct for it. When the faith was more central in all things, people, people got it. The sins come. David, David, when you read it, if you actually just what read about it, David slinging? What about David slaying Goliath with that with a, with a rock? With that rock? With a pebble? Well, but that could be seen as a little technological kind of win too. You call it whatever you want. He's sitting there going, you "I guys, know it was faith based in faith." Yeah, it was. He goes, "You guys the, are scared. Was, you guys are scared of this uncircumcised Philistine. Yeah. It was huge." Giant. I got this. And then they're giving him a sword. I mean, I would say throwing a rock. I would say if someone you know pulls out a cannon, you know, yeah. if, if, if for an arm, I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Slingshot if, is more technical, if, skilled yeah, yeah. If, win than, if Shohei, than a gun. Yeah, if Shohei Otani were on the battlefield dropping dimes, knocking people on the temples, <laughs> you'd be like, all right, that dude's legit. I think you would you would you would submit to it. You if he was out there with, You gotta write it. You got <laughs> if he was out there with his left hand just yeah, yeah, you know, just <laughs> drilling people, running on the battlefield. Imagine they're on horses and stuff, and he's just yeah. Knocking them off. You gotta off. do a <laughs> knocking them off. The horses. People would viscerally get it. You gotta you do an audio book on biblical stories, dude. Yeah, that yeah. is. Hilarious. <laughs> you could. You could. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, but that's different technology. A slingshot. Yeah. Like, come on, that's really in you. Even, even in a lot of ways, a bow and arrow. We know, kind of viscerally, like, oh yeah, that's legit. 
but to hold up a gun Even and press bow and arrow a little less though. Yeah, a little less. I mean, slingshot. I mean, you're slingshot is ah. tough. That's that's tough. And you're running too. You ever try running, shooting a sling slingshot? Oh man. Up and down. A sling, a slingshot, and and I right to the temple too. I don't even think it's a slingshot. I think it was a. Um, no, it was a sling. Was but yeah, but it. I think it was. It, Might have been yeah, like something he's wheeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. a wheeler. He's wheeling this. That's what I think it was more, because a slingshot. First off, you wouldn't even be able to. You the the slingshot you're thinking when you pull back. <laughs> no, that's not possible. <laughs> running there is no slingshot like that to kill a man there you go, there you go. yeah so he's wheeling i guess this i thing. mean if it's if it's if it's <laughs> ordained by god then I it's possible but i think it was probably That's more of a point. wheel sling which then, is even harder because what's he do he goes you guys are trying to put all this armory on me this stuff is heavy i'm trust me i've fought bears and lions when they come after my sheep i fend off the bear i kill the lion i'm good take the stuff off and then so then when he slings him yeah you know he, what does he do? He grabs his sword, Goliath's sword, and kills kills him with it. Cuts his head off. So, I mean, there that's mm -hmm. visceral through and through. I mean, the people know it. Saul Saul kills his thousands, David his ten thousands. So, right? That's why Saul's you, how, how, and And so the, uh, another, another, the reason why oh, I but, asked. But, 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 but let's put this in its right rightful context. Because mm -hmm. now, let's now go to the Psalms, mm -hmm. which are, you know, the prayer of the church. But those are, are David. Those are the Psalms of David. What does he say? throughout those psalms i mean go read them read you know book one the first 41 psalms go read them mm -hmm. it's constantly lord take vengeance upon my enemies so this is not a guy who's sitting there going i'm not trying to do anything he's saying no i'm putting it in god's hands so what we read in samuel one and two or what the old books would call it first and second kings and they called first and kings third and fourth kings but what we read in that is him going no i let the lord handle it if the Lord wants, again, you have another example in, in 2 Samuel where someone comes to him from Saul's family. He's now king, comes to him to mock him, spit him and throw stones at him. And his crew's like, dude, you want, let me kill this dude. What is this? Who does this dude think he is? He goes, no, that's sent from the Lord. The Lord wants it. So who, who am I to interfere in that? I will take it and the Lord will handle it. Right. And so he walks on as he's being humiliated. By the way, prefigurement of Christ carrying the cross. Mm. A, a very direct prefigurement. This isn't one of the typologies where you got to loop through, you know, jump through a hundred loops to be able to kind of see it. That one's right visceral, right? And so here he is. Like I said, it's only in the context of the Psalms where he's constantly praying for the Lord to take vengeance on his enemies over and over and over again. In a way, you'd almost be like, dude, settle down there. But that those Psalms in the context or just paired up, it's not even the kind, but just paired up with what he does in one first and second Samuel, show you that, oh, these Psalms are holy and that this is the proper disposition. Mm. It's to say, you know, it's to, because now you're turning to the principle so that when it over, he goes, God's going to overthrow it. By the way, all these systems that are chaos, they're going to get overthrown. But if you're the one sitting there going to God for it, then when the time comes to reset it, now you actually will have the principle. It'll be anchored in God, and something good will come from that, something glorious. And that is what happens, is we have the glorious kingdom of David. Now, on account of his sins, it's not going to be the eternal, the everlasting kingdom that God, of course, first gives him in, in his promise, but also is obviously foreshadowing to what he will do, right? And so after his sin, he goes, nope, now discord 
and division is going to come upon you and upon your people. Right? I will, now, you will have your line. It'll continue. So the southern kingdom of Judah, it's going to continue for 350 years. But that's it. It's going to be Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites who are ministering there. Then the northern tribes, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, they're just going to have, they're going to be gang, gang, game, game of Thrones, you know, 2.0, 3.0. Just usurping, slaughtering, intrigue, murder constantly. And it's just, but then not, not only that, the same thing he does in the time of the judges, where he says, it's, it's, uh, it's not on account of their righteousness that I'm going to let your enemies invade you, but on account of your wickedness, Israel, that I'm going to allow them to come invade you. So it's going to be the same thing. He, go, he goes, now this, this kingdom's going to split, and now you're going to face adversaries from every angle over and over again on account of your sin. So, so yes, and you know, Psalm 51, what does he say? Have mercy on me, Lord, in your goodness, right? Blot out my, blot out my offense. And what he's telling him is all your ways are just, as Moses says in Deuteronomy 32.4, right? All your ways are just for you punishing me, this is legit, right? That's, that's the, the prayer of contrition of David after the Bathsheba affair, after he receives the punishment, is have mercy on me, but all your ways are legit. All your ways are good, mm. right? I mean, that's where I say, I mean, come on, we're, what are we talking David, as holy yeah. as they come. Yeah. I mean, this Hitter. is, this is a, a non-starter. Yeah, no doubt. Go anywhere other than that. I mean, Moses, the meekest man to ever have lived. I want to talk to you about, David, there was a, you and I and David had a conversation off air, and I hope we can have it on air at some point, sure. but um, David was really moved by it as a, as a messianic Jew, you could say, <laughs> yeah, right? Sure. Um, but, and we, we're the Hebrews, me and David got the Hebrews podcast, people really like the Hebrews uh, uh, tandem. You're a Hebrew, but let's, uh, let's let, t- tell me, or Again, go over uh, the mistake that you see is often made about the covenant of the Jews being Mosaic versus Abrahamic in, oh. in relation to Christians. Well, in, in our modern times, in our modern times, early on, this this was known. This is known as the clear distinction. It's there, laid out in the Book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it's actually laid out repeatedly throughout the Pauline letters. Um, but the Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, and he he fulfills all the standards of sacrifice in the Mosaic law and all the, you know, again, sort of the stipulation, the difference between the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant are stark, between the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant are much more subtle. Um, but he's, he's going to be a fulfillment of all the subsequent all the previous covenants. What you really have is you have the Abrahamic covenant, and then you have 2A, 2B, and 2C. So 2A is the Mosaic covenant, 2B is the Davidic covenant, 2C is the Christic covenant, mm. the, the everlasting covenant. All right. But so what its immediate predecessor is, is not 2B or 2A, but it's number one. Right. And so that's, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the subtle point is that Jesus ultimately is, is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He's going to satisfy for all the stipulations and parameters of the Mosaic Covenant. But this notion that, um, you know, the Mosaic, Mosaic Covenant continues on. That's, I mean, that's called, uh, that the notion that the Mosaic Covenant does not continue on is called supersessionism, that the New Covenant supersedes and, and does over with it. 
what's become what's become prominent even in Catholic circles post World War II is to to give credence to the dual covenant theory, which is that both these are intractable and you know effectively eternal. But I mean, let's be clear that is not the position of Saint Augustine, Saint Thomas, many of the church fathers, doctors of the church, many saints, even and a lot of other, I mean, again, other takes on Christianity that wouldn't be properly Catholic, is that, no, the, the eternal covenant supersedes, it, it overtakes. It's the, the old covenant is done away with. The law is, is, is abolished thereafter. Not, 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 you know, as Christ says, I come not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. But it's done now. It doesn't, it no longer confers grace, is really what it, what it comes down to, is that the sacraments of the old law, circumcision and the law, no longer are going to be the means conferring grace. And they even did it imperfectly. They weren't efficacious um, mediums for grace. So uh, again, the the subtle point is just that you see this error constantly where they're talking about, you know, the 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 Jewish people being the sort of fathers of our, the Jewish people today being the fathers, the ancestors of the fathers of our faith. And what we really see is that we're grafted onto Abraham. Right, and that's what and that's what's being made clear is that by faith, um, you enter into the covenant with Abraham, not by by race or genetic disposition. And again, this is there in Hebrews. It's also there, again, throughout the Paul letters. Okay, because he even he even highlights he even highlights he makes the point that not everyone who descended from Abraham was part of the promise. Right, uh, as Prophet Malachi says. Uh, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's in the the voice of God. So Esau, who's a, de- a descendant, one of the you know twin brothers of Jacob, father being Isaac, doesn't doesn't get the promise, right? In the same way, Ishmael doesn't get the promise. Now I'll preserve. He says I will preserve you and make a great nation of you. Ishmael, in honoring what I said to you, but you're not you're not a part of the prop the promise. So not everyone, right? Not everyone is a part of the the promise. This is what, Paul is clear on this, and so this is where we see that we're descendants of, of Abraham by faith. And it's of Abraham. It's not, Moses. I'm not a, I'm not a descendant of, of Levi, you know, which is the tribe that, that Moses comes from. Mm-hmm. I'm not a descendant of, you know, Zerubbabel or Zechariah or whatever high priests there were, um, you know, post, post exile, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah. I'm not, that's not who I'm a descendant of. I'm a spiritual descendant of Abraham by faith because it's it's faith. So that that was the the subtle point is that people you can spot it right away that if someone starts talking about the relationship of Jewish people to Christians and they start bringing up the Mosaic Covenant, they're they're playing a game, or they just straight up don't know have an ignorance that's almost itself negligent, you know, <laughs> culpable to be if 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 they're you know in a serious position where where and they're dealing in the Bible or in scriptures or things like that, the Jewish faith, and they're not making that distinction, then, like I said, either, um, you know, either they're playing a game with you or their ignorance is culpable to them because, because Paul says this, it's, it's there throughout the history of the church. You know, if you take statements that are made post-World War II, like I said, in a time of fatigue and fallout that sort of, tip the cap, which by the way, never really even explicitly say this stuff. Well, there's a whole nother. Tip there's, the cap. It's like, come on guys. There's an entire, what are we talking about? Well, there's an entirely different, um, 
theory out there now. You and I talked about Fuentes, the Fuentes types, but Fuentes is is banging on Paul out here, out there in the in the internet sphere, saying that Paul smuggled the the the, the that Paul smuggled the Jewish identity into the Gospels and into the uh, you know in, into the writings uh, about Jesus for manipulative or by manipulative. Way. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's just a non-starter. I mean, I I don't know. If he said someone else said whoever's saying it. What they were saying is that Jesus wasn't a Jew. That's what people like Nick Fuentes are saying. They're saying he that the, him being the Jew part was smuggled in by Paul, um, for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean I've heard some people make the argument that um, the the Jews were like a multicultural group in the area of Judea and not based on the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I guess I just am not aware of how they're getting to that place. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. And I'm not saying, you know, show me your sources. Or something. I just am saying it, it, there's a sense in which it defies it. What I will say categorically is there is no, is a non-starter to, uh, you know, to, to bracket off St. Paul and excise him from the canon of, of scripture and holy, you know, being inspired by God. Mm-hmm. You know, right. This is again, this Not is, starter. this is as old as it comes that there's two authors to every work of scripture, the human author and the divine author. And the human author can have their own intent and in why they're doing it. And that intent could be at odds with any number of things, but the divine author is the one that matters and it doesn't. So it really isn't a, a question of even if they think that St. Paul had a, you know, a, which by the way, I'm not saying this, St. Saint, Paul's a, a devoted patron saint of mine, right? Um, but even if they were to say that St. Paul had a wicked motive and he's the one putting this in, the Lord sealed it for some other motive. Mm-hmm. The Lord wouldn't have a wicked motive, but he'll allow He'll allow any number. He'll allow the the Philistines to think that they're attacking Israel out of their own motive to service some other end that is holy and legit and good, mm. right? So so God will will appropriate bad proximate causes to His good ultimate end, and it's actually our argument for evil is that not there is not and this is hard for people to get there's not a single evil that takes place, not a single one that is not ordained to the good of one of God's saints. That is the real one. That's the real one that I, I couldn't overstress yeah, go ahead. how profound and how impactful the implications of that are. That means, because people's argument always is about the goodness, God permitting evil for the good, for the good. First off, they already, right there, abrogated. Any evil is going to be ordered toward the good of one or more of his saints, toward the glory of God, which is properly speaking in the saints and in heaven. Okay? That means... That means, and people don't grasp this, that means, because they'll always go, well, take the Holocaust. However many people died, millions or hundreds of thousands, whatever the number is, mm-hmm. however many people died, how can you say that God allowed all that for the good? Doesn't that seem, yeah. For the good of one saint, it would be legit. The glory of God making one person a saint in heaven is greater than all the calamity, all the natural calamity of all of existence. Right? If you add up all the negatives that could ever take place in evil, even just one person being glorified infinitely, because it's infinite, would outweigh and would justify 
God ordaining all of that toward that one person's glory. Now, you're going to tell me that there aren't saints that were made through that process. I mean, we know of one right now in the Catholic Church, Maximilian Kolbe, who went into the, the concentration camps, ministered to the people, and was killed. Mm. Right? Defied it, ministered to people, and was killed. By execution, too. Not like, you know, by typhoid or something in the camps. He's a, he was a Catholic. Yeah, Catholic priest. He's a who, saint. Who went to the, the he's so I'm killed by we, the Nazis. So I'm saying we know one, but there could be many others. But he's killed by the Germans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There could be many others that were, were raised up to glory on account of the persecution that they faced through there. Right? So this is actually, this is actually the logic of, of guys that all evils, and by the way, this is why this is going to be hard for people because people will just go, ah, I'm just, this is, right, this is a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. God does this. This is what David says too. God will place a snare and a trap and a stumbling block for your retribution before you. All right. A snare is some sort of ambiguous or difficult idea. So Thomas Gwani says it's brilliant. He says a snare is like a difficult idea to grasp. Okay. The trap is when you interpret it wrongly. The stumbling block is when you persist in your wrong interpretation. And then the retribution is your, is your outcome. Mm. All right. Is, is your perdition, your damnation on account of it. Right. By the way, St. Paul brings us in to Romans, letter of Romans, when he's talking about the, the Jewish people and their role, they're being sort of cast aside, but not ultimately, not toward the ultimate end, but individuals will. He says all the way back, going back to David, that this is recognized, right? That God will place a snare and a trap and a stumbling block at, at, for retribution against his own people, quote unquote, against his own people, right? To prove, right, that, that the ones who come to glory are more perfectly glorified, right? And so this is, this, this for us in our modern days, we look at these horrors and we go, that becomes a, that becomes a snare because mm-hmm. it's hard to look at. And the trap is that if you interpret it wrongly, you'll, you'll throw out God, right? You will defect from God. You might not even realize it, but your will in malice will fix against God because you'll look at that horror, you'll go, nah, I don't think that that equation works. All for the glory of even one person? I don't, no, I'm not signing off on that. Okay, now you've given into the trap. And then if someone goes, no, that is the way it works, and then you persist in it, now you've become your own stumbling block. And now get, get ready, you know, get ready for the retribution. So these are, these are maybe hard things, but they're actually, they're profound. Is that there's not a single evil in all of time, all of existence, that's not, not permitted on God's account for the sake of it being ordained to the glory of one of his saints. That could come generations later. It could come in the moment. It could come whatever it is. So forget the exact point that brought this up, but it's, there's no evil that's taking place throughout all time, throughout all of existence mm-hmm. that doesn't ordain to the glory of some. It, it doesn't mean it's to their glory, the person who the bad, the bad thing happens to, but to someone's glory, right? So, now, so on the, on the fl- I, I guess to, to bring it full mm-hmm. circle with, with that, that was talking about St. Paul. Yeah. And his his yeah, letters and them and them uh you know trying to write off Saint Paul and his letters, which I again I don't know if they're doing that or not, but it's a, it's a to me that's that's just a non-starter because again this is even if there were malice malice afoot, God's that's that's you know divinely inspired scripture and Saint Paul. By the way, I also reject that you know Saint Paul's not out here running you know a, a quick one to try and fit into your you know whatever your convenient. 21st century political musings right. about things. Like, come on. No my, my question is, a lot of people, the, the flip side of this coin is, a lot of people 
are actually making a similar argument, and this this comes to the the question of uh, determinism and predeterminism that you and I yeah, often predestination, predestination, yeah, Pred- yeah, predestination, yeah. Um, it becomes it it often become well it 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 is publicly the justification of Luciferians and Satanists that what you just said is true that all evil is to the glory of some. Oh yeah, yeah. Paul deals with that. Go Paul ahead. deals with that in Romans. Go ahead. He says there are those who say this is maybe I want to say chapter three or four. Uh, I think I, I could look at, but I think basically it's, they see them doing evil as no, a service he, to he God. He literally says or to no, no, a, no. He literally to, says there are those. By the way, he he gives one sentence to it because he's like this is such a, a a slam dunk case. But he says there are those that say if God works evil for the good, why not we do evil? Right. It's like the end of chapter three or the end of chapter four, I think, in Romans. And all he gives us is their condemnation is just. And then he's like, I got other stuff to, to get to now. More pressing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If that person wants to say, well, God will work evil to the good. A snare. I said a snare, a trap, stumbling block for retribution. Their condemnation is just. Paul says, I don't even, I'm not even going to take the time to go pry that apart for you because you need to know how much of a slam dunk it is how much of a slam dunk it is mm-hmm. but there's nothing to it now if they want they can go read the commentaries of saint thomas aquinas of saint augustine things like that on that particular portion and they will give you reasons they'll give you three pages of reasons not just not just one argument built out they'll go in one argument you can look at it in this way and another argument you can look at it in this way and another argument you can look at it in this way they'll give you it right so they're there but saint paul yeah saint paul deals with that he goes because there are those at the time of christ Right at the in the in the immediate aftermath of him, who, who are crucified saying, him, or yep, who, who betrayed him, who are saying, saying, yep, who we, are saying, we did what we needed to do. Sure, and and if God works evil for good, then why not do? This is what they said, right? Because this is what what Saint Paul says: where 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 sin abounds, grace abounds the more. It's like, well, why not sin more so that more grace will abound? Paul, Paul just their condemnation is just. Right. He's saying that that so directly undermines, so directly undermines mm-hmm. the principle of loving God and doing good. <laughs> Sorry, and derogates God. Right. So it denigrates God mm. to even suggest such a motive. Right. Okay, I get it. It's going to arise for, for a novice. It's going to rise in their mind because they're going to go, well, emotionally, they're just going to be like, hold on. I'm afflicted. Right. I'm afflicted by just the notion of that. If evil's ordained toward the good, then I can do whatever evil. Like that, that's gonna come your way, especially as a you know, a novice in the faith, so to speak. And I don't mean that by time or by credentials. I just mean that when you're new to it, because the faith carries a lot of weight with it. Mm-hmm. Right? So why not then commit evil? And like you said, yeah, the Luciferians are gonna use it. Of course. We've already talked about Karl Marx is gonna use these fundamental Don't take things advantage of the basis. poor and don't yeah, don't yeah, oppress yeah. the poor and don't and, take advantage of the wages. Yeah. yeah. Deprive them of their of their just wages, right? So he's gonna; th- these people are gonna find their inroads through the things that other people hold as credible, rightfully so too. To hold scripture as credible is is right and just and good, right? So so that's I mean that's as old as time. Is that a part of the snare trap and and stumbling block? A person like Marx or the Luciferians? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, no. So first for other Christians for first, us, yeah. So first Thomas for people who aren't for, yeah, Luciferian, yeah, or Marxists. For, yeah, yeah. For Thomas. 
Thomas, he elaborates, first he elaborates the snare and the trap and the stumbling block and the retribution on, on the part of malice. So just when your will is off, right? When you, by the way, malice is anytime you want a lesser good over a greater good. So it actually happens quite a bit. A lot of people think malice is like you deliberately plotted the evil, you premeditated it, and you did it for the sake of evil. No, the, the malice, the will desires goods. And so anytime you desire a lower good over a higher good, you have, you have the defect of the will, which is called malice. Mm. When you don't know something, that's the defect of the intellect called ignorance. And when you're given in to your passions, that's the defect of weakness. But on account of the will, anytime lower over a higher, you have, you have malice. So what, what he's saying is that malice is the broad category that the snare, the trap, the stumbling block, and the retribution is appointed to. When your will wants a lower good over a higher good, you're now disposed. Are you going to continue in that or are you going to reflect on it? So first, it's a snare. Right, and then it becomes a trap if you go with it, if you start perpetuating it, and then a stumbling block to the degree that you then become fixed in it, and then your retribution, which will be your damnation, will be will be what's what's given talk, to you. Talk to everybody out there about, and to to end here. I know I, we we've been here an hour and a half, but yeah, the, me and AJ, we we often will talk for hours and hours. We used yeah, to yeah. more before you were yeah, yeah, a father yeah. and a yeah. and, and a teacher. And you teach religion at, at a prominent, prominent high school here in the cities. But um, we should talk more often. I can't wait yeah, till we yeah. start the podcast. But yeah, yeah. I want you to go into a little bit the importance of confession oh. um, and, and uh, how sin is forgiven. Um, and because I, I think, I think a lot of people out there who aren't Catholic, let's say, um, find the idea of sin, uh, and, and some of these doctrines of, of the Catholic church, uh, of Catholic theology to be heavy because they don't understand the mercy side right now. We've sort of described and, and outlined how, how, uh, I don't want to say harsh, that's not the right yeah, word, yeah. but, but how. Uh, it, it can be hard. They're hard sayings. They're hard principles. How, how um, heavy. Yeah. God can be. The wrath. The wrath of God. Well, that's Moses, though. He says, if I were, if, 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 <laughs> right. if you were to see him face, I mean, how many people in the Old Testament touch the tabernacle and die? Right. They right. literally die right. from having touched the tabernacle. <laughs> they right. lifted up the hood right. of the tabernacle and right. they died. But, but, <laughs> but, you know, post after yeah. Christ, after the death of Christ, um, and, and, the, and the resurrection and confession and communion and asking for forgiveness and, and not the ease with which one can be forgiven, but the totality of things that people can be forgiven for through confession uh, and, and what, what makes that important. How does that mechanism work? A lot of people don't even know. Yeah, well, I, I want to I actually back up here and say that um, let's, let's do a little digression on, <laughs> you know, on, on the, the rise of Protestantism in Europe. Please, thank you. In the 1500s. You. Proceed. Okay. Um, my, my, this is my read on it. I've drawn it from, I, I think, a, a handful of sources. But, but you, see, you see a lot of personal I don't know, diaries or clippings, whatever historians have turned to, where there was a sort of immense anxiety that mounted in the Middle Ages around faith. And I, and I actually think there's a good reason for it. I think it's because, I've shared this with you off air before, but I think it's because you were living in a world so steeped 
in not just the Christian understanding, but a very rigorous and and we would even say to a level of almost technical understanding of the the relationship of the will to God, of what it takes to be saved, of God working it in you, but you having to participate. There's these things that are tough, but there's these things that are clear. That there can be those sins that disqualify you from it. You're, we're living in a time where, by the way, um, if anyone's wondering, this is it's a very beautiful, very clear way of distinguishing between what's called, sorry, what's called in um, Catholic circles, mortal sin versus venial sin. Okay. The way they held the distinction in the genus of the difference between mortal and venial sin. St. Thomas will actually say this in his treatise on evil. I think it's question seven on venial sins. Maybe question eight on venial sins. There's only like nine or ten questions, but then there's tons of articles. But at the the opening or the second article on it, he'll give a he'll give his layout of the distinction between venial and mortal sins. And he'll arrive ultimately at the point of saying that. They're not venial or mortal according to their consequences because that comes after the fact. There has to be something in them that makes them venial or mortal in themselves. He says, so we arrive at what distinguishes them is whether a sin is done against God or against others. If it's done against God or others, which is the principle of charity, love of God, love of neighbor, then it's mortal. Roughly, if it's done against yourself, then it's venial. Roughly. There's only a slight bit of nuance to work into there. That is the rough thing. So. Um, I, I use this example with people when I'm talking to them. If you lie, if you lie to your neighbor, you shall not, you know, you shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, but you shall not lie is the, is the category of the, the eighth commandment. If you lie to your neighbor um, in a way that, that has to do with them, that hurts them, in any way, even, even minor, you're in the category of a moral sin. So that would be something like, um, you know, someone, someone does something and, um, you know, they commit a crime against someone and you lie on behalf of them saying they didn't commit the crime when you know they did, right? You've caused injury to the person who you say they, they didn't commit the crime to. That's a moral sin because it's against the, the, the object of that sin is another person who was wronged, who mm -hmm. now can't receive justice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a moral sin. A venial sin would be something like, I use this with, with kids because it's funny. It's like you come back from school after a weekend and you had a boring weekend and you didn't do anything. And a bunch of the, the boys are talking about how they did blah, 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 blah. And they're like, Hey, you know, Timmy, what did you do this weekend? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh man, I went to the Timberwolves game and, and sat courtside. You're lying, but it's to embellish something for yourself. By its category, it's not going to be mortal because it's not against God or neighbor. All right, I say all this because this is now in the water of the medieval times, the Middle Ages. It's in the water that people understand this. So they no longer have the martyrs of the early church who could win themselves salvation by being martyred. This is, I mean, this is the whole impetus for the rise of monasticism in the four and five hundreds. People start to realize, how can I be holy before God? Mm. Well, there's this really deep sense, really sort of practical sense. that's like, it's so hard for me to not sin against my neighbor that if I become a contemplative, I've got a way better chance. So it really arose in the middle ages in, in a lot of swaths of people, a sense that, man, I don't have a very good chance of getting to heaven unless I'm a monastic, but I got kids, and so I'm not going to become a monastic because if I break my vow to my family, that itself is an injury, and now even that, right? I can only, I can only restore, make that right by restoring myself back to that family. So what I mean to say is that 
there is a, a great anxiety arising. And we read that when we read letters about the Crusades, people writing about the Crusades who went off to them where they would say, you know, this is my chance for salvation. All right. This sort of shows how, how desperately, how deeply these people understood these principles and how in so many a, a desperation arises around whether they can be saved or not. All right. So I always say that it's that anxiety that is the only key for you to be able to understand, to open the door to what is going on in Protestantism. That this anxiety mounts to such an extent that what is the response? No, you're, you're saved by a mere proclamation of Christ. If you proclaim Christ, you're saved. Put your anxiety to rest. You're good to go. If you proclaim Christ, you're good. What does what what do um, the reformers end up saying? They actually end up saying that that the scourge of Christianity is rationalism or is logic that emerged, you know, or not emerged, but was so well utilized by by the medieval scholastics. They go, no, 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 no. We don't want any of that piecing this stuff together. You know, that's Ooh. that's the philosophers, as Paul critiques them. Um, they're doing their vain philosophy, and we we just rely on the power and the word of God, period. Right? So that's gonna be the the sort of academic, intellectual, professional axis is gonna take out that prong. And they're gonna say, no, you, we don't use any philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then the common person's gonna go, good, just all right, if I just say I profess Christ, I can ease ease my conscience. I'm good to go. Now, what ends up happening though, and this is this is always the case with anxiety, is that what assuages the anxiety in the moment will lead to will lead to other problems down the road, which namely it it stunts the development of the of the spiritual and religious life. So I give that context because what what God is really desiring to you, by the way, his mercy is great. It's actually in a sense it's even greater than these people are giving him credit for. Right? Because they're saying, I just need it all at once. And God's mercy is such that he goes, no, I'm going to perfect you. I'm going to draw you through it. And I will be there every step along the way. Mm. Right? What, what God is saying is, I don't want a part of you. I want all of you. Every day. Day after day. Week after week. Month after month. You are mine. Right? I've called you by name and you are mine. And I want you. And he's saying that to all of us, right? So if we go, okay, good, I'm saved. All right, now I don't have to navigate that territory. Maybe I slip up and say something that, you know, is is objectively, you know, mean to my family member. I disrespect my spouse or I, you know, over overflex my arm in my authority or I, you know what I mean? Or I dismiss it or I do this thing or I do that, right? Um, you know, we can look at that and go, most of us can, can, will, will say, well, if I'm saved, I don't have to worry about that. And what God's saying is like, no, 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 take stock of it. Take stock of it. Take stock of it. Bring it before me. Mm. And again, there's, we've talked about this, but it's the natural mechanism of having to bring it before another person that I just think is just, it's just clear. It's a different, it's a different category of sort of difficulty and of the, the healing that comes in the wake of it, right? Take stock of it, bring it before me, bring it before me, bring it before me. You will be astonished. It's not going to confession once. It is a habit of confession. And that can be monthly. It doesn't have to be, especially as you get better at it. Because in a five, 10 year span where you're an adult, I'm not talking about kids, but when you're an adult, where all these 
you know, passions and the full faculties of your intellect are online, so to speak, right? At this point, you will make huge strides over a five to 10 year period. Mm. And you will witness God winnow away at certain things. Now, some of them you're like, I don't even have awareness of that thing. Then all of a sudden you learn a greater detail. Now you bring it before the Lord and now you're you're judging yourself on that even finer tuned standard. And he's going to give you grace according to that even finer tuned standard, mm. right? And so he's going to bring you through and you're going to start to see it because now you're trying to catch yourself out and you're going to confession. When you confess, you get that relief. You'll be like, okay, yes, I did it. I said it. I've acknowledged it. And then even from a natural standpoint, you're going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to try now not to do that, right? Which is a part of that process of the grace infusing in you to uproot it. And so it's really, like I said, the, the confession is profound when you consider it as a regular practice for five, 10 years, right? By the way, church fathers used to even say, like right now there are a lot of people who have addictions and different things and they say, okay, keep, you know, keep bringing it before confession, persist in it, God will look on that. Well, uh, there's a lot of saints that were like, you really shouldn't persist in an error, right? If you're bringing it before confession, then you should be trying to deepen your understanding of what's moving you to do it, of um, why you're doing it, what occasions are getting you to do it. You should be, you should have a seriousness around mortal sin when you start to realize, yeah, this thing really falls into that category, right? And you should be trying to navigate your way around it. You should be trying to do that. And, and when you unite those things, you will see God's grace come to fruition where it's not just, it's not just, oh, I'll avoid it. You'll get peace in your heart toward it. You will get a transformation of your will toward those things. This is where they say, you know, the, the law was imperfect. The law of Moses was imperfect. The law of Christ is perfect. It's the same, it's the same law. It's the same 10 commandments, but the old law without grace is motivated by fear, not wanting to be punished. The new law, which is in Christ, is motivated by love. Mm -hmm. So it says that, no, I actually don't want to do those things because it's good. Right? So you'll hear some people maybe drop the comment like, you know, if, if God didn't, you know, outlaw it, then, then why am I doing all this? Right? If, God, if, if none of that matters, then I'll just go back to doing, doing my sins, doing what I wanted. That still has not reached maturation in that person. Because for the one who's reached the maturation, the grace in Christ, they would say, no, even if you seemingly took that law out, I'm moved by love to want to live in this way, to want to be you know, tight on all the little things I'm doing, be sharp on these things, how I take things on, how I expose myself to suffering, how I cooperate in suffering and train myself in it. Right? I, I want to continue in these things because I'm not motivated by a fear of the negative, but by what is, becomes increasingly evident to one as the glorious good mm. of those things. So I think that context probably gives the, I think the best explanation for what's going on in confession and, and why it's beautiful is that oftentimes I think what, what holds people back from it is their own anxiety, their own fear that, man, if I start counting my sins, I got a long list to go. And it's like, and it's going to keep coming. And it's like, no, that's because you're thinking of confession in an isolated incident. But if you thought of it in a 10 year window, Trust me, that infinity that you think is standing before you of sins, you'll learn quickly that the one who is infinite will make work of it, right? We'll start to refine it. So I know that that's kind of like, you yeah. know, if you're yeah. going to get it, you got to do it for 10 years. Like, dang, that kind of seems like a high bar. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that's, that, that is a high bar. That's not your, your typical, well, if it works, shouldn't it work in one time? Like, yeah, I mean, it does work in one time. But uh, again, this is where you're going to, at least 
from that framework, you're going to be able to start to intuit the profundity of it. Mm-hmm. Whether you start it or not, you know, that's on you. But my, my, wish, my wish is for you that you would, whoever you are, you know. Paul says, I wish, when they ask him, you know, if we let you keep talking a little bit longer at the end of Acts of the Apostles, you're going you're gonna to try and make all of us, you know, Christians as yourself. And he goes, my wish is for you, for you is that you would be just as I am except for these chains, right? But as, as one deepens into that love of God, it's like, no, my wish is for you to have this, mm-hmm. for you to have it, for them to have it, for them to have it, right? I, I want to be as Paul. I want to have what Paul has. As he said, except for the chains, I kind of don't want the chains. But if that must happen, I want what you have, right? And so that that is my that that's the wish for people is like, I mean, there is there is something um, that is profoundly communicated to the person through the process the process of confession. Now, some will see it more or less. Some people are going through, they're doing it, they're listening to someone, they're listening to someone tell them to do it, and they're doing it, and they're doing it, and they're doing it, and it doesn't seem to evoke that inner transformation. It's like, I mean, part of the answer is like, you just got to go deeper. Yeah. Like you got to go deeper. But if you dive deeper and, and you hear things like what I'm saying or someone else who mentions that sometime and it pricks your ear and you go, oh, and now you have that idea there, you'll be able to experience it. You know, I'm saying this to you drawing from people who have noted that in maybe a subtle way or a slightly different or maybe even a lot like that at different times where it hits and you're like, oh man. And then you experience it and then you run with it, you know, in terms of forming the idea, you run with forming the idea. So, I mean, I, I, again, there's, there's just nothing like it. You immediately see how deep and how, how infinitely God desires you wholly and totally, Mm. how profoundly he wants to sanctify every single part of you. He wants to make every single part of you almost brimming over with the joy and love of him before he, this is before we even see him in heaven, where at that point, then it's infused, then it's fixed. Then we're good for all eternity, right? But he, he wants you to be at that point where you're going, I'm already starting to have the ecstasy of the saints here in this life as I'm growing it, as I'm seeing glimpses of it, or maybe I have it for a second and then it goes away and then, right? But, it's like that is that is what's going on here. That is the beauty of it. That's where someone, if they go, you know, well, confession, you know, blah, 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 blah. To me, you know, my eyes just glaze over. It's like, I don't even know. <laughs> you critique it as much as you want. You probably even have good arguments. By the way, a lot of people, you guys can form really good arguments around things. That's one thing. I think that's one thing about our modern age. <laughs> that's one thing about our modern age that the intelligentsia does not like. They didn't grow up in it like you and I. Mm-hmm. Now that the comments are coming from everyone, they see the comments and the common person as a scourge. Because they go, well, you know, they're not sophisticated enough in their comments. Mealy-mouthed collegiate yeah, assholes. Yeah. yeah, and you know what I mean. Or they're just, you know, trolls mm-hmm. on YouTube. It's like, no, dude, they're, those comments are just getting right to the core of it. Yeah. Sure, every, yeah, sure, they're using fallacies or whatever, but really the, the fallacies are secondary to the core of what they're getting at, which is punch. And they're, you know, I'm just getting onslaught and now all these people think they have credibility and blah 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 and they're hiding behind an avatar and all that stuff and yeah. sure i might think that it's a little the only, soft the only, but, the, only but, the only avatars really are these fake credentials that people yeah, are carrying yeah. around 
and and using to to justify their expertise and really their wickedness, like Dr. Fauci. Yeah, he's an avatar. Here you go. Yeah, he's an avatar in, in my opinion. <laughs> there, and there are a lot of people behind avatars and just just saying shit. You know, they're just for sure. But there's malice afoot mm-hmm. in in any number of them. But again, I I just get at it where it's like in this day and age, um, like you need your humility to rise to almost infinite standards in order to be able to navigate this. Yeah. And that's a willingness to receive all your fellow neighbors very simultaneously, especially if you start to get any audience whatsoever. You're getting feedback on a scale that, you know, even, even you know, Christ in his time isn't fielding that number of feedback because it just technologically wasn't there. I mean, there's these people who have these huge <laughs> followings. They do a video and within a day, there's like thousands of comments on it. I'm talking people with huge followings, but it's like, yeah. Dude, you got to be ready to receive even the least among them. Yeah. We, you know, we need that. We need that grace. Whatever way, you know, however you want to slice it. Well, I don't want to play games. Fine. Don't play games on who's in, who's out, what rules, what. Yeah. Don't play games. On, but you got to work toward it. Yeah. So. A.J. Barker, ladies and gentlemen, the great A.J. Barker. We appreciate you for being here today. Um drop back anytime hopefully sooner sooner than later the next time uh here you may have uh some some work coming up i think we're doing c mask tomorrow with the great tim gordon yep, in the morning yeah yep. so you guys can tune in for c mask with tim gordon rules for retrograde podcast uh catholic brethren there having having a dialogue what's the topic for tomorrow i don't, I don't even know, know. I don't know yet. we don't know yet um shout out to tim gordon the rules for retrograde podcast shout out to all the catholics out there in the world all the christians all the believers in God. All the Gentiles. All the everyone. Gentiles, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Um, this has been a very enlightening podcast. I'm, I'm excited for people to be able to hear it and uh, for you to be able to continue your ministry and work. You're going to uh, end up being uh, one of the most important figures in, in history. Um, so, A.J. Barker, Parting Shots, tell us where we can follow you. I know the Substack oh, is yeah. there, but what's the name of the Substack? My Substack is now just AJ Barker, so you just search AJ Barker. Good. There it what, is. What, what was your last piece? My most recent one I did on uh, healing mysteries of the Rosary. Mm. For people who aren't Catholic, they wouldn't get what, how these mysteries in the Rosary work. But for those who are Catholic and who happen to know about the Rosary, which should be all, but there's probably a lot that don't. There's mysteries of the Rosary, and I um, had a little, you know. Situation, life. I kind of write about, but you can read about it. And I, I came up with these uh, healing mysteries of the rosary, so you can read about that. Mm. Um, and more to come, more to come on that. I actually am uh, planning a novel. I, I've actually finished finished it, and I'm working on the release in stages. Working of title? It. Can we know what the working title? Mallory. That's the that is the title. Okay. The title Mallory. Okay. And so that it's it's a short enough, but I I will be releasing that in serial segments on my Substack. There's six parts to it. So I'm going to release each part, probably a couple weeks apart. I haven't decided the exact timeline, but what it'll do is it'll be available to buy when I first release it or around the time that I'm first releasing it. And then it'll be public for free on the Substack so long as that serial is going. And then once it ends, then that'll shift over to paid subscribers only. You can get the book. But if you're reading it along the way, then you can read it for free through the Substack. So wow, cool. that's Coming here at some point, it's editorial, personal editorial things with uh, with the story that just are, are the only holdup, but I've, I've finished it, so 
I'm excited for it. Wow. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The great AJ Barker, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's it for me. I hope you enjoyed this Friday's edition of family and friends. Uh, we appreciate your listenership and your viewership today and in the future. Don't forget on Monday, I am starting my new national radio show, the Royce white show on the John Fredericks radio network that will be premiering or airing at 8 PM Eastern, 7 PM central. Um, so if you have access to the John Fredericks radio network, you can check out an hour of radio there where I will be forced by FEC regulations not to use profanity. So if you don't like the <laughs> profanity, feel free to tune into the radio show every day. I'm, I'm, I'm being muzzled by the, the greater laws of communication and broadcasting in America. But if you do like the raw and uncut 9 PM, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you will get the raw and uncut version we will not hold back on the podcast uh, for all you cuck surgers out there who don't like profanity. I went into depths about 501c3 churchanity uh, on my Wednesday podcast. And just for the life of me, I, 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 just, I just don't know how you guys are so invested in, in profanity, but Satanists can walk around on, on your streets and mock Christ. Um, but, hey, for another day. A.J. Barker did enough theology today. That's it for me. Um, Again, we appreciate your listenership and viewership today and in the future. Visit freepeopleradio.com to find out where you can watch and listen to the podcast, as well as visit our store. You can also go to freepeopleradio.store directly to get merchandise and other things from the podcast. Um, visit tiregit.com if you need a new set of tires. It helps to fund the movement. Um, and also, roycewhite.us, my Senate campaign website. Uh, visit RoyceWhite.us. I'm running for Senate against A.B. Klobuchar uh, and, and the entire globalist establishment, really. It doesn't get any more higher up the trough than, than Amy is, but um, it's, it's, it's a cadre for sure. So uh, visit the website, make a small dollar donation if you can, or become familiar with the platform. We got caucuses coming up in February here in Minnesota. Make sure you get ready to go into the caucuses and become an America First delegate. Uh, we will have a video, an infographic video for you shortly to tell you more information on how to go into caucuses, not only here in Minnesota, in Minnesota, but all across the country. Hopefully we're working on that project now with the same people who helped make my campaign launch video. So uh, we got a lot of things coming in the future. We may, in fact, be working out a deal with Real America's Voice for me to be on Real America's Voice as well, alongside the great Steve Bannon and Jack Posobiec and so many others. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, a lot to come. Um, but we'll see you next week for now. Thank you again, AJ, for coming. We appreciate you, brother. Uh, we hope little Mathen uh, gets sick, I mean, gets well quickly. Not sick, gets well quick. Um, and, and God bless the new addition to your family. Thank you. Uh, and and, and the, the rest of the family as well. Um, the fight continues. Don't die a jerk off, as always. Godspeed. Love you, brother.